I think it would be fun to talk about the other business we have, McPreventures. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, uh, especially how it came about, it was, it was, uh, we'd always talked about it, but like most things, the, uh, the pandemic pushed us into motion. Faster. I mean, I think we would have done it either way, but I think faster than we would have. Yeah. We were pushed into doing it. Yeah, I agree. If you, I remember, um, so just rolling back 2020, I had gone to, um, California to start up an automation project. Actually, even back a little further. Okay. Well, first of all, we have been talking about it for the intent. Let's talk about the intent first, True. which was we have all these creative aspirations and ventures that we wanted to do outside of the umbrella of Tegler Construction and Supply and Arnold because they were either different or, you know, just outside of that, that we could pursue together personally. Right. So that was the initial concept and thought uh, and I think, you know, we talked about it briefly mm-hmm. um, and then didn't really do anything with it. Right. And then enter California. Right. Well, I think it also goes back to the idea that somehow we picked up this douchey Hollywood name that we gave ourselves, which is what makes it douchey, and uh, called McBrit. And then we had some cocktails that we named after it along the way. And I think it only seemed natural that our business would be called McBrit. And then I remember trying to figure out what went on the end and trying to come up with a tag that made sense, you know, how could it be uh, flexible and how could it, you know, if we went in a real estate direction, how would it work? Or if we went in an entertainment direction, voila, how would it work? All and, encompassing. And all encompassing. Yeah. And, and we finally came down on McBrit Ventures was the uh, the name that we decided to go with. And I think no sooner did we get it figured out and incorporated, which you, of course, did all the work on the incorporation like you always do. Well, it- The great thing about bootstrapping a business, especially fairly recently, you know, relatively speaking, um, is that I had to do all that myself and figure it out. So I remember so vividly, like, this is exactly the steps. Here's what I should have done that I didn't done that I that I didn't do that I really messed up. And then two, it certainly makes it a lot easier that we have we already have our resources, our war room, as we refer to them to help us. So it was as easy as going to uh, my CPA, who we know, who's a friend, not just a, you know, not just a war room, a, a friend and an ally and a consultant yep. and them helping. So yeah, A, so fresh in my mind how to do it. So it was easy. I mean, starting an LLC, most people don't know. It's a few clicks of a button. Like right. it, it really is that easy. You want to do it right and you want to get the, but it is so easy to do. Yeah. Um, and then pulling in our team. Yeah. And not for the faint of heart too. That's a great touch in just in that. Yes, it is easy. And having started some LLCs along the way, I remember my, my uh, high school buddy and I had aspirations to start the first platform for buying and selling packaging machinery. And I knew the market and, and we were starting to take back some equipment and, and he had enough knowledge where I actually started a company called Eagle Systems and we built a, I've told this story. And then we, uh, we built out a, a website and the idea, this is probably 15 years ago, a long time before this was really on anyone's radar, I think. And where we were just opened up a marketplace for other distributors like us to post packaging machinery. And the idea was to be able to move it back and forth between each other. I needed a used case sealer or whatever the different packaging machines were. And we actually sold some memberships. We got some memberships sold to distributors and opened up the marketplace. And I just remember how hard it was to, to herd distribution. I mean, I know manufacturers say we're like herding cats, and they're right. I mean, distribution is, is like herding cats. And dealing with some of the, the older salespeople in the market and trying to get them in tune with posting machines and keeping them updated, and then we'd get an order for a machine, and it would already be sold, and nobody updated it. So we basically started a, you know, what would be a used car-looking site and system that dealers could move, um, but then with no updating and no attention and, and high levels of frustration. And I think that just died a silent death. But my point is, is that, you know, once you get on the radar, then you have personal property tax and you have any number of things that you're responsible for that, you know, you're officially on the grid and it's just a commitment that you can't take lightly. You don't just say, hey, I got, I got a business. Well, you know, then there's taxes and there's any number of, of things that you're responsible for. And if you don't, then you open yourself up to 
uh, audits and, and any number of pieces. So easy to start, but you definitely a certain level of, of commitment you want to pay attention to prior to doing that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things right now is I unfortunately, I really don't have the time to do it. But one day I, I will I will make the time and that is to help people start these LLCs, you know, specifically, uh, I, I try to help a lot of women that are starting businesses. But Yes, while the LCs, I'm like, oh, oh, by the way, there's a lot of implications that come with this. Yeah. Like, it's not just like, I have a business. Yay. <laughs> it's like, they're, oh, you, by the way, if you're not really, if you're not profitable, you're going to end up losing money with all the fees and yeah. everything that, that comes along with it. I remember my first uh, business, which I didn't do, didn't have an LLC, nothing like that, was a fitness business. And I gave out X workout plans and nutrition. And then I started getting into making ebooks about how to bake healthy desserts. I still have the website up. I sold, sold quite a few. There you go. The desserts were horrible. I bet they were. I remember I had my, I forced I've, my. I've eaten the stuff you eat. Most of it's horrible. Well, I, I, <laughs> my palate acclimated. <laughs> yeah. But what did you kill? It's, my parents it, it, it would turned, try it. It turned dead. Well, when you cook with protein powder, it's disgusting. But my palate was so just like, I was so used to it. I didn't realize. And I remember I would have my parents or sister taste us in. They were like, this is good. Yeah. yeah. I, I when I trust that stuff with you, I feel like when I spit it out, there should be like a piece of bark laying on the table. I, and, but it, like, I wasn't trying to fool anybody. I really thought it was good. The yeah. pictures looked good at yeah. least. Well, you had, you had, you had kept that from your body for so long. It didn't know the difference anymore. Yeah. Imagine if you ate like a cookie or something. Oh, when I do, it's best day of my life. Anyway, so <laughs> back to, yeah. So that was all part of you starting a business that made terrible desserts. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll I, I just didn't. Do, I, I did. That was that was my starting to. I guess you could say entrepreneurship, but without doing the LLC. But the, my real point was most people have to realize what comes with just starting an LLC. It's not just that. There's so much more to it. Right, right. You just don't get to write things the off. The consequences. You don't that, just, right, 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 exactly. <laughs> you don't just pick up every dinner tab going forward because you get to quote unquote write things off. Which might be, that, that's actually a good point. And I don't even know what the percentage now is for entertainment that but, you can write. It's almost non-existent now. It's, it's 50%. But is it the, still 50? It, it, yeah, but by the time you work it down and work it down, I think it ends up being 17 cents on the dollar. Because it was, that just changed a couple years ago. Because I remember when I first started the business, you could write off more of an entertainment. I don't know if it's entertainment, if that's yeah. what it's, but uh, food, drink, and whatever that was. And since it's definitely decreased in percentage. Yeah, yeah, not as not as easy as it used to be. Yeah. So anyway, back to uh, McBird Ventures. I think we uh, digressed onto all of our other failed businesses, which well, is amazing. Yes. I still get some mail every once in a while to Eagle Systems, which is pretty funny. That is. And I still have a little glass eagle that I bought myself as a, as a, uh, as a signature for it in the, I don't know, 10 months that it existed. I'm sure somewhere along the way you used a lesson or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there was the other one called Package the Planet that failed. My buddy and I tried to do that too, probably in the, I don't know, mid-90s. Early, early. Yeah, that failed too. Maybe one day we'll revive one of those. Well, I think the hard part is, is that, you know, you have to have a certain amount of, of know-how. And that was pretty early too. I think that was mid-90s or, or maybe late-90s. And oh my God, without the technology and the being able to speed to market and all, oh, I mean, yeah. it's so much different. Oh yeah, the tools didn't look anything like they do now. But certainly, we we had it. You know, we we saw what this online marketplace could be. But Arnold Packaging wasn't in Arnold's factory supplies at that time. We weren't nearly big enough to execute on it. I mean, I think we saw the promise, but but didn't have any idea how to build out the infrastructure that it would take to to you know to be a big online packaging presence there's lots of challenges with freight and any number of things that we didn't have I don't know enough enough uh, resources, and at the same time too, you know, my dad had just died, so there was limited bandwidth. Like I was trying to make sure that Arnold's factory supplies wasn't going to fail, let alone jump into some internet startup thing. So again, lessons learned, all kinds of great lessons learned, but another fail. I mean, I, I think uh, everyone thinks that you just sit around and, and bat a thousand all the time, and not true. Like you've got to, you still have a website for for horrible desserts, oh, I'll, and I still, I'll, I'll show you <laughs> I still have an online site for machines that there are no machines on. So yeah. <laughs> the only other point before we finally get to the California point we've referenced is I was I was listening the other day to a podcast talking about and 
but this is probably a very widely used term that I'm just not familiar with, which was intrapreneur. Do you know what that is? I don't. I, I, didn't, I had, didn't, didn't know what it was. And it's basically an entrepreneurial person inside of a corporation. So someone who would have a creative de- idea, such like you're talking about, but use, you know, do it, um, execute inside the umbrella of Arnold Packaging. Of mm. course, it would be a team decision. But I'm like, that's a really great model for a lot of people that like, I don't want to start a business. I can't. I don't have the time. Or it's just not like I'm not interested. But I have such a creative thirst or ideas and all this stuff that I want to execute on. I'm like, that's probably the best way to do it is if it's something that your team supports and while you have the resources and the foundation. And I was thinking, wow, if, if you could get a team together, that's like a bunch of entrepreneurs. Well, you're all working towards the same core ideas and mm-hmm. things, but then everybody has, not everybody, some people have these peripheral, really great ideas to supplement the core business. Right. Like that's really cool. And I always think about, because selfishly I want, I don't want my employees to leave. I want them to stay here. So I think opening that option up is a really good way to, you know, make sure they can pursue what they want um, and be able to be creative and then it helps everybody. So just like entrepreneurship, I was like, wow, I've yeah. never really, uh, haven't thought much about that. Makes but. sense. Uh, so uh, Tommy, shout out, make sure Thursday we talk about entrepreneurship. So we have a, uh, Arnold Packaging has an emerging thought leaders, which Tegler participates in too, an emerging thought leaders group that we get together every couple of months. It's the, the younger or less experienced people in our organization. I think they range now from age 23 to uh, 24 to 34, something like that. And we go all over the map. I know this week we're going to talk about routines and what does your routine look like and how does it lend itself to your preparation and what is your preparation ultimately leading up towards what time, what type of a goal or outcome. And we tend to use a lot of sports analogies in our company or military analogies and, and sports is always fascinating. We've talked about that on the podcast a bunch, but just that, that preparation piece and, and, you know, what does your routine, your prep, what does all that look like? So I think we'll, we'll weave in intrapreneurship and, uh, and, and I was with a, um, can I just insert one more yeah. thing about that? Sure. Are, are you staying on the entrepreneurship or go ahead? Yeah. Oh, okay. Similar. Well, I was just going to say like, what an awesome opportunity if you're like, listen, you, you have, unlimited growth opportunity in every way. Like if, if you come up with this idea again, it's complimentary. We know I don't have to reiterate that it's got to be good for the business and everybody involved. We know that, but it's like, yeah, you, you grow this baby and we all help. And then it's, it's your thing. And like you unlimited, literally unlimited growth. You can financially growth, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. you know, and at the end of the day, it could be like something, okay, well, you still have to do your job over here. Well, this really takes off. Now we have the opportunity to backfill you like that model and something like that. But everybody has to be really bought in and, su- and supporting that. But I just think that's such an amazing model for a company that really buys in and, and follows something like that. Yeah. And there's, and look, I mean, certainly we're looking for investment opportunities all the time. So I would view that in the same way. I was with a, uh, a company today called Ayers uh, and uh, a guy named Drake who went to Penn, played the cross there, went to the financial route, worked in New York and decided that he just didn't want to do that anymore. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. And lawyer. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably it must sound like entrepreneurial lawyer. That's, yeah, ew. But, um, so he- I say, uh, I say they're opposite. He went, <laughs> he went into, uh, got some, got a start, worked with some people, and now he's bootstrapping his own business nice. doing third-party logistics. Sweet. And and in talking to him today, you know, we can contribute by um, discounting his packaging materials. I offered to hold his um, receivables for 60 or 90 days. You know, my question to him was, how you doing on cash? And he said, well, it's tough because I'm shipping things and FedEx wants to get paid weekly and UPS wants to get paid weekly. And when you're bootstrapping it, you don't have any credit. And you know, when you miss a payment, they'll turn off your shipping services. And it's hard to be a 3PL if you don't have shipping services. So my conversation around him was, you know, talk to me about your cash flow and how do you get these guys paid weekly? And, you know, FedEx wants to be paid weekly. And he said it, it's, it's difficult. And we you know we talked about 
banks and banking options local. It's never been harder to get money than it is right now. I mean, your, your lines of credit, if you have prime, are up to six and a half or seven percent. That's if you've got a fortress balance sheet, let alone being a new company mm-hmm. or a startup. You know, we you talk about selling the vision to M and T, and and uh, really, and I and I told him your story uh, on his warehouse floor today, and said, you know, you're gonna have to get them to buy into the vision. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to to buy into Drake. And, uh, and, 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 and you're going to sign your life away in the process, right? I mean, if there's, if you're going to collateralize on whatever stuff you have, and if you blow it, they're going to take it. And so those are like things we can do. And I said, I'll, I'll give you terms on your packaging. You get paid by your customers before you pay us for packaging. So there's some things that we can do. And, and I would, I would take that same model into that intrapreneurship, whether it was, sure, use our resources. We're, we're, we're not here two shifts in manufacturing and one shift in distribution. So you need some floor space. You need, you know, if you want to come in here and grind it out and, uh, and, and get after it on your own time, our building sitting here doing nothing, why wouldn't you use it? Or mm-hmm. why wouldn't we figure something out? Provided you can do it safely and, and return it in shape, that's, you'll never hear a peep out of me. Yeah. I'd actually, as, as early as we get here, we'd probably head out and, you know, <laughs> do some of whatever they're doing on oh, a particular yeah. day. No, I love it. And I will, because it's a good, uh, a small segue, I will give that story just for anybody that is in the position of bootstrapping a business where they don't, just simply don't have the cash or the history. So when you're doing that, as anybody in that position knows, it's pretty much not impossible, but very challenging to get anybody to lend money to you. And you're like, okay, I have no money, but I need money to do everything I need to do to, to buy the, the product I'm going to sell or whatever that looks like. So something I always keep in mind, even to this day, especially when things are seem intimidating or are far-fetched, it's like the person sitting across from the table from you, whether it's a banker or a lawyer or a CEO, like they're a person and they have all the same human emotions and feelings that you do. And at the end of the day, people are making decisions based off of a, a lot of that. So what I first did was I went to all, all kinds of banks. I got no's across the board, even from the smallest local bank in, in Baltimore. I got a no. And, and they, uh, they claim they special, which they do. They specialize in supporting minority and women-owned business. They've been trying to get my business for the last five years. <laughs> Just not yours. Which is, well, they have for the last five years, which is like the sweetest revenge ever. But uh, yeah, so they totally turned me down. And the, the one bank, M&T Bank, that said yes, I was the first, first startup that banking team decided to partner with and lend with that entire year. And it was just about selling my vision and like really believing it and coming in confident, but I had nothing to show for it. Literally nothing. I had one project. And the only reason I met these guys was because they were the banking team for my customer and my customer didn't want to deal with it. It's like, can you just connect direct with my bank? And I was like, sure. And then I just created a rapport with them. And that's how that even became. But I, I just remembered there are people I've got to, I've got to sell them on what I see for the future. And that led to a $50,000 line of credit and a $50,000 term loan. And I was like, hell yeah, this is the best <laughs> What day. can I do with this, Hondo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is not only that, you have to get that person ignited because they're going to go pitch to an underwriting committee, a loan committee. So, you know, I'm sure many people across the table have are, they have all the best intentions. They're jazzed about what you told them. And then they go to somebody that's in the back office of the bank. They didn't hear the pitch. They didn't see the look on your face. And they look at papers and numbers and and poo-poo the deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that happens on a fair occasion. And, and there's a whole timing component, too. I, I find that banks go in waves where it's – Oh well, let's let's act more philanthropically with our lease, with our 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 lending, or uh, or the way we're approaching loans, or let's let's get invested in a particular group or or type of of individual or business or mm-hmm. whatever it is. So some of it's about walking through the door or kicking the door down at the appropriate time when they're favorable to that particular uh, you know type of deal or company or whatever they're targeting uh, at that moment. Because you know as well as I do, forty grand for the assets that these banks have under management. And now that they're all wrapping up, buying each other up, there just aren't that many little banks anymore. So again, 40,000 bucks is like a rounding error, but not when you're trying to start a business like, like you did, or like talking to Drake today, who's got demand and he can't create supply because he doesn't have money to feed the supply. And that's a, that's a, that's frustrating. That's really You got to walk in the door. Like you said, though, you got to kick the door down. You have to go. And then the other, uh, 
I, I didn't even I didn't even use that money to be, I didn't have to. What I did was uh, because I couldn't get credit established with any of the vendors or manufacturers we were trying to buy from. So, you know, I couldn't get 30 net yet. My customers are paying me in 60 days. So do that math. It doesn't really work. No. Um, <laughs> You're out of cash in a hurry. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had one vendor, um, which obviously my uncle is operates. And so I used their infrastructure. I, I leaned on it and I leveraged that. And they were essentially my bank. I don't think they, they knew it at the time, really, right. what I was doing. But I, they, they were the one that extended me terms. I utilized those terms to get up and running. And that's how, I mean, entirely leveraged the infrastructure of another company to get my company up and running. And it worked. And they were taking a chance on me too. You know, it's like all these people that in hindsight were taking a massive chance. And now we do... I mean, millions and millions of dollars together. So it all, it paid off in the end. But again, it's like getting these people to give you a shot. Yeah. And, but you won't get the shot if you don't knock on the door. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be, and you have to be uh, aggressive about it. Not, not um, dick aggressive, but appropriately aggressive or um, intentional or whatever that would feel like, man. Because if you're just selling the vision and it's yours, it's hard to get people to sign on for. Like you're committed to it already because you just, you know, sold everything you own or, or turned off your cable like you did or whatever you're doing from a sacrifice perspective. And we talked about sacrifice and one of our other, uh, episodes was, what would you say? I mean, that sacrifice component is legit. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's interesting too. We, you know, we talk, you're, you're more of a podcast person. I'm more of a real time consumer of news like CNBC or whatever. And in, t- in listening to the podcasts, um, there's lots of interesting people. I wish, I wish there were more features of failures, right? I mean, unfortunately, well, to get on a lot yeah. of podcasts, at least they made it once. They might be like right. us talking right, about right, past right, failures. Right. Totally. But I don't know that most of the podcast platforms are saying, you know, show me all the people that lost everything. And, and let's. And it would be great. It would be interesting to talk to them. Usually, by the time you talk to them, they've lost everything once or twice. And now they're, they're back mm-hmm. telling the story. But, man, what about some of the ones that lost all of it once and, didn't, and did not have whatever it was going to take to get a chance? at two or three, or there's a great, great saying in uh, venture, in the venture capital world that they, they won't give you any money until you've lost all of someone else's money. And that's, and that's very true. And that's across any platform, right? Like who's, who's going on CNBC and they're highlighting that's, or, or anything, anywhere. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's graveyards of failed businesses everywhere. I think what's the statistic on, um, I don't know what the exact statistic is uh, beyond five years and then how many companies make it over 5 million, 10 million. I mean, it's just, it's just really low yeah. statistics. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's competition anywhere. When you, as you get higher and, and deeper into it, it gets thinner and thinner and thinner at the top. But yeah. So anyway, back to, uh, back to Mitt Brick Venture. That, <laughs> that was Brick only Ventures. a 20 minute. Yeah. <laughs> Divergence. <laughs> we digress. It's more like 25 or 30. Uh, but yeah, cause we have lots of business stuff to talk about failures and, and some six and, and then all kinds of work in, in process too. But so we start the, no, we hadn't even started the LLC yet, but we had this concept like, yeah, we want to do this. We think this would be great. We don't do anything else with it until right. we were not forced, but pushed along. Yeah. So I, we were in, uh, I know we had a, we did a business trip into Mexico and we were coming back and I remember the woman in customs said, have you been in China? And I thought, no. And who cares? Well, <laughs> now I know why she cared. So, uh, when was, when was that again? It was, Janu- it was January of 2020. Okay. January, yeah. 2020. Yep. And then, um, we had a big, we had just sent a team to California to open up an automation project and they were on site back and forth, I think on day four or so they showed up and the uh, guard said, I'm sorry, you can't come in without masks. No one had any idea what was going on. And I, I think if I recall, because of you know Asia and its proximity to California, they were getting hit first and that was moving its way east along the way. So only because we had a team on site, 
um, they couldn't come in without masks. I remember our project manager scrambling around trying to go to the Walmart, bandanas, anything. No one had any idea what was going on. And uh, <laughs> Colin, Colin Jezian, one of the more resourceful people in the world, who's I think who still knows every person he's ever met in his entire life. He's had a guy, like he always had a buddy somewhere. And this particular time, he had uh, someone in California that was making uniforms and they had already been shut down and they had converted their uniform manufacturing plant into a mass manufacturing plant. And uh, so Colin hopped in his car, drove to LA, picked up enough masks, I think it was 36 masks, um, and raced them back. So they got on site, did their thing that day. So Colin was telling me the story, which I immediately brought home to you, and uh, masks and so on and so forth. And, uh, and that's when it started. I remember those original masks that he got, they were white. They look like diapers on the face. They did, and they, they, and they were cotton. So oh, they, they were. Oh, yeah, they were horrific. <laughs> but it's the first we had ever seen them. And you can breathe through them. That was another problem. Well, I remember saying, "Well, I'm not worried about it. Like, not not going to happen in Maryland." And then a month or so later, it, the governor came out with right. Was yeah. it something along those lines? Well, I flew out to California right, to check in, right. and while I was in the air, Governor Hogan shut the state. That's right. So I flew from California to the couch, and then promptly sat on the couch for 14 days. So what inspired us to eventually get into the mask business was we had, we were both essential businesses, manufacturing and construction. And I know for construction, all my customers were working, even though they were working outside at that time, everybody needed masks and they were working in close quarters. Like there wasn't, there was not the six foot rule ever in construction. You, you can't, it doesn't work. Right. So all these guys and gals were needed mass to be able to continue the jobs in the field. So we were like, well, let's, we know we've got somebody in California, let's start buying masks. And that's exactly what we did. We started buying masks in I mean, bulk. Yeah. Remember, we didn't even know if people were going to buy them, but like, let's get them for our customers. We're suppliers. Like, yeah. this is what we do. Right. We know how to get things out and it would help our customers. So we reached out to all of our customers and we were doing bulk orders and remember how expensive those damn things were. Yeah. They were crazy yeah. expensive. They were nice. They were nice masks. They were, so we thought. I mean, now I don't know if any of them did anything. Yeah. But, but at the time, we really... Yeah, yeah it is, of course. <laughs> um, and then, so it's the white mask, and then they slowly transitioned into the solid navy. So we yep. had two choices. And we sold the ones from California for... Quite a while. Until, they, until we sold out their plant. We sold out their plant, yeah. yeah they made us. So I think the cool part about one of the things that I, I felt great about, and, and you know, in the moment we were posting to social media and people really didn't know where to go. There was a supply issue with these types of, of you know, typical civilian masks going to the store, wherever you were going, where you had to get some type of face cover that was reasonable, somewhat comfortable. And I remember uh, those guys telling us that they were able to bring back everyone that they had laid off from their uh, uniform plant came back to work as a byproduct of, you know, the masks we were selling, they were selling them on the West Coast. So that was that was a great outcome. That that uh, that made me feel good about being able to get those folks back in. And and, and who knew? I, I remember that time, too. We had some side bets on when the world would reopen. And I was June. I, I, I remember June. You said June first, right? I said right? June thirtieth, twenty twenty. Yeah. Oh my god! I'm oh so god. glad we didn't know. Whoops. Yeah, or didn't bet anything <laughs> of any value on it. Uh, yeah, I think we did, but we were both so far off. It was nobody yeah. could win. Yeah. Two years. Two years later. But uh, yeah, and then I, I know uh, we sold him out, and I re so fortunately we uh, got contacted from a guy in Jersey who same thing uniform plant laid everybody off. I think he saw some of our social, social media, posts, yeah, and said, "Well, I can I can do this too." And and uh, and we're more local; you don't have to pay for the, all the freight. Yeah, and uh, I remember driving up on a Saturday to Edison, New Jersey. He left a mask behind the trash behind, can. Yeah, and we were digging around behind yes. the trash can trying to find the mask we're like, sample. We're like, we can't. It's got to be quality. We can't sell it if it's not quality. Yep. and and he did between reducing freight costs and everything else, he came in about, I don't know, it was like half the price of what yeah. we were buying in California. Yeah. And so, custom, and, and that was just the that was just the mode that we took, right? Branding masks and well, small quantities. And the way I, it was an, ex, the way you put it was, okay, let's, if we're going to sell masks, which sucks and nobody wants to wear them, let's at least make an extension of your brand. It's on your face. Yeah. Like what better branding than looking at someone's face and seeing it? Just like, that's pretty cool. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we could do, was it like next day or no, not next day. It was like three to four days Quick. customization yeah. of different colors to, uh, we had the two different panels. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden these masks were really neat and people were just getting into it from a branding perspective. 
perspective. So then we had some companies that were buying by the thousands, yeah. uh, some some larger companies that yeah. they, they need. They had service teams. They had service so they were, teams. Yeah. They needed two or three. Um, yeah, so we created. I it. it challenging time but it was really fun doing that together and then also getting into when everybody started opening up not opening up but bringing people back slowly everybody needed the thermometers yep the infrared thermometers so that was our first introduction to um, internationally importing which we hadn't really had much at all experience with no very little so working with a broker that was really good at that so that was great from a learning perspective of you know dealing with tariffs and what are the all 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 that stuff that comes with importing and exporting that was a great lesson um and i think we we helped a lot of people who sold through those thermometers as well because they were impossible to get at that time or super i mean i remember on the amazon wars or wherever that these things were going for gross money but it's the only way people could get them so we're like let's bulk import them at a re- reasonable price. I mean, they're way cheaper now, but at that time, yeah. and we can give that to our customers as well. Yep. No, that was great. Yeah, that was a uh, great experience. So McBird Ventures, that was- uh, That was that, the launch. That was the launch of McBird Ventures. And we sold, uh, was, uh, how many masks? 300,000? 400,000? It's something wild. Something like that. Yeah, it was just, it was pushing half a million when it finally slowed down. And I think we had to get back to our real jobs. The world was reopened. And and, uh, yeah, I remember some of the late orders where it was all, man, this is ever going to dry up. Well, we we were also, it was one of those businesses, it was weird because it's one of those businesses we were hoping went under a fail as soon as possible. All too happy to stop selling masks. Yeah. Yes. Totally agree. But it was great. As much time as, you know, whether you had to quarantine or someone had the sniffles and when you go to the couch for 14 days, I mean, that kept us going a lot. I remember sitting on the couch and and each of us fell into our own piece. I handled the POs. You generally handled the sales. And there was never a conversation about it. We just dropped into our thing. We never had a structural meeting about it. I just picked up on the POs and and, uh, you ran the social piece, drove the sales side. You were front of house. I was back of house, which is pretty funny. we go package them at the warehouse on on the weekends yep, together. Yeah. Bulk package, get them out. Fun and funny. Yeah. So that that was the uh, the start, and then we've done a couple of other things since. One of them being getting into real estate a mm-hmm. bit. Yep. Now, I think that's something that we will probably do a little bit more. At least I'm I'm interested. We talk about it a lot. But the easiest way to get into that was again, like we always do. Who do we know that we could work with and invest in that's in the real estate and they're the expert, but we can be a part of it. Right. So that's when we started working with uh, my cousin, who has different real estate um, portfolios in actually now a lot of different places, but the majority in Delaware. And we started looking investing in some of those properties and and portfolios. And um, that's been, I think how many we're in three, three or four now. Mm -hmm. Sounds right. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's been fun getting to see and just in the early stages. Yeah. And something we know nothing about. I mean, that's, I think that's the coolest part about being involved or investing in certain ways. And it's not like we're, you know, we're, we're, we are at least arm's length and then some, because we absolutely know what we don't know. And, and that's real estate for sure. But I think that's the cool part about being around these businesses and listening and, and, uh, trying to understand that there's so many different businesses now. I mean, what technology has done in just opening up all of these different lanes. And and I think the saying is something like, I don't know, half of the jobs that we have now didn't exist 10 years ago. I would be curious to see fast forward 10 years to 2033 if that number isn't even bigger mm-hmm. with what we're seeing with AI and, and some of these other, you know, what what to what to the next half of jobs that don't exist right now look like 10 years from now, or maybe if it's if it's maybe it's five years from now, half of today's jobs don't exist. So that piece is is super interesting and all of the information, just the the industries that are being spun up out of of um, all of this this new demand that nobody even saw coming is is really fascinating to watch unfold. I mean, we're in the more durable side, you know, uh, lumber and plywood and construction materials, you know, cardboard boxes and 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 shipping materials, but 
the tech side is fascinating. And then, you know, us watching to understand how it's going to influence, change, and likely disrupt our space to make sure that we understand it and not just where the puck is going, but, you know, be standing there waiting for it if we, if we were able to do it correctly. Yeah. So what is, um, you know, another one that just came to mind is restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, So we know hospitality, especially now, is a tough business, but we've always been interested in the hospitality space, know nothing about it, don't have the time to do it, but some of our friends are great at what they do, and it's been an opportunity to also invest in some of their new ventures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they, I think they've hit on some great concepts, and they're good. They're good operators too. You know, you have to be a great operator. It's not just enough to have a cool thing. You actually have to be able to deliver on it as well. And I think there's any number of businesses that have that front piece. It's a great idea, and and the number of entrepreneurial. So packaging is interesting in that way where. You know, people decide they're going to pursue a product, right? If we don't package services, but you know, they have to be pursuing a product. Whether it's you know, Nope that we've talked about, right? A, a uh, one of the beverage companies. If they're pursuing a product, then at some point they're going to have to have packaging, and that's a cool way that we get to interact with entrepreneurs or new businesses. And you know, there's a lot of them with great ideas, and it, and it seems to be a natural or have a particular amount of demand, but you still have to execute. It's not enough to have a great idea. It's not even enough to identify a particular amount of demand. If you can't service it, then you still fail too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other piece worth talking about is this is a really cool um, symbiotic relationship. And we've gotten, we're working with some friends on solar mm-hmm. and that's been really unique in that there's opportunity in that partnership for all three companies from with Arnold Packaging on the logistics side, from Tegler on supplying some of the equipment, and then McBritt Ventures on creating a lot of the, being a liaison with um, basically customers. Yeah, sales side. Sales side, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's something that I, I love the idea of that, of seeing a, a useful function of all three companies like that's that's unique uh, in, in itself that we're working on we've been talking about that probably a year year and a half now yeah I think that's interesting just solar so just segueing away from that too just how business goes where you know a year ago that was very exciting and solar and sustainable energy and it just the way it ebbs and flows I mean now with with the big concern about you know China in particular and where these panels are coming from while sustainability is still critical, necessary, you know, we have this this uh, this road bump or, or block right now based on where the panels are made. It doesn't even have anything to do with sustainability or solar energy as a philosophy or a science or whatever you'd want to talk about that you think would be the the block or or the uh, the interruption in moving that energy as a as a um, a technology. It's right now the political aspect of where the panels are made. And that's just an interesting part of business where you're going along. It looks like the world is getting smarter as it relates to renewables and, and, and trying to make choices and unbolting from fossil fuels where appropriate. You're not going to fly an airplane on solar, but what else can we do, right? Where is the right place to plug this in? And through no fault of solar's own, if you will, um, there's a political component that is keeping that business from moving, and there will be failures because of it, right? There'll be people that bought in two years ago, and they didn't see this threat on the horizon of someone in Washington and awakening and saying, wait a minute, where are those panels coming from again? And are they dumping them? And are they subsidizing the dump of them? And now you've got a business owner that was on the way, you know, they felt like they had critical mass and this type of disruption could possibly take them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also learning a lot about administrations that even though the prior administration really wrote everything into law, new administration wants to take credit maybe it's something they support on a state level mm-hmm. and so now it's like they want to get this this solar deal take for example Maryland a new administration like they brought, they've been working on this for years but it's just a it's just part of what politics looks like oh hey look what we're bringing to the market or, or to Maryland, yet this has been being worked on for right. previous yeah. administrations so yeah. just all interesting and it is it's all it's so political and, and you want to believe that there's separation a lot of times between 
businesses and poly, but it, there's just not. Well, like, just it's, the, it's it just follow. say too that despite your best efforts, you might get taken out by something that's completely out yeah. of your control, right? right? And, and you just get caught on the wrong side of it, or you don't know the right people because that is a that's absolutely a, a, a situation, and uh, and you, you get caught up in and you just don't have the strength to to endure it, right? Whether it's cash or whatever, you would you would need to to wait it out while Washington decides if those panels can come in, and you just and you end up going under. Mm-hmm. And it's un, it's un unfortunate, but but that's not going to happen because we have a great solar partnership coming online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I would again, great executors, great business model. Uh, as long as things come in that that uh, that aren't out of that aren't in our control, sure, absolutely. So I think really, when we're getting back to it, we've talked about all these these various creative ventures, as I call them. So McBrit Ventures is really just a great opportunity for us to do all these things that we want to do that we, A, know nothing about, or, or I mean, some we do, but uh, for the most part, don't know anything about, or simply don't have the time because all of our effort all the time and commitment is to APC and TCS. So it's just a way to partner with people that are really good at doing other things. They're like, hmm, that's really fascinating. I want to be a part of that. And getting the opportunity to do that with limited, limited time. Mm -hmm. Well, look, and and also it's a way to protect the other two motherships, right? If, I mean, if we're being pragmatic about it, right? I mean, we have this other venture that, that we can, we can, um, you know, invest time in and, and, and put funds and resources towards, but we can also do it while Arnold Packaging and Tegler do what they do and be safe and not get into a, a uh, you know, a liability situation. And that's been another great piece. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just talking to the, the audience and, and uh, the other reason to do that is because you do have a, a business venture that uh, if something were to get horribly sideways, there is some protection. Uh, there's a protection no aspect doubt. of that too that we've talked about at length. And, and you know, <clears throat> if we're going to get outside of our lane, then here's a great place to do it, or it should live here. It shouldn't live in, um, you know, <laughs> the golden gooses of Arnold's and, and, uh, and Tegler, especially after, you know, the amount of time and energy. And, and uh, so that's another great byproduct of that type of a venture. If someone's considering it or, or you know, they've got a a spouse and they've been talking about getting into business together and it's it's a uh, it's a leap but it's it's a hell of a lot of fun it is but again and i do want to reiterate is we've got our experts from abc and tcs who are keeping an eye on it from an accounting standpoint a tax standpoint so it's we have those as we call them blind spots covered which is important and so we have been pulling from the resources we already have which which is a differentiator and certainly makes it easier at least more a little bit more comfortable and less of a risk yeah well look i mean whoever was doing it you'd still want your own war room and you'd still need your blind spots watched that could be a relative that could be uh you know any number of people that are trusted advisors that simply have a different perspective from yours which would be of huge value yeah I was thinking as you were talking about mitigating risk, I get the question a lot, oh, why don't you and Mick like merge? A lot of people do that, that don't know exactly what we do and are on the outskirts, like either think we're running a business together or like, well, why don't you just run your businesses together? Like, why, why don't you APC or TCS? And I think that's, we talk about this all the time, like it's... A, we have no issue. I mean, you've got APC that's very successful and TCS, and they're two wholly different things. And we met while while we had two very different things, and it works. And I love that, that we have two different, very different, but um, synergistic entities. But that also for us is, you know, a way to mitigate risk. Like, hopefully nothing happens to either. But if we're being realistic with changes in, in the – any – Anything could happen. You know, we just went through a pandemic. Clearly, we know there could be global change. Whatever happens, it's a good way to find some security if something slows down or goes wrong one of those businesses. And I think, you know, it's, it's that's why it's just not something we, w- we would ever consider. But I do get that question a lot. Like, why don't you just run the business right. together? And it's, 
Yeah, no I think that idea of diversification, period, That's, right, yeah. is is whether it's our two businesses. That was what I tried to say, and you said it in one word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that diversification would be important, right, and and diversified. I mean, not not diluted, right, but uh, where you're very conscious about saying, you know what, I have enough eggs in this basket, and let me go ahead and try to, to develop something else, and and. Uh, have it uh, my watch. widespread. <laughs> so, <laughs> so of course, you don't understand. <laughs> so you don't understand. <laughs> I don't even understand. <laughs> yeah, but um, yes. Yeah, so that, I think that's that's important. And this the McBritt Ventures is just one extension, another extension of that. Yeah. So, question for you, which I've never asked: What? Where do you see? McBrit Ventures going? Is it just something that's going to organically move along uh, as things develop? And you're like, oh, that's that's a good opportunity that's brought to you. Or do you have any any vision for it? No, I don't. Um, <clears throat> I think the biggest fight right now is time for both of us. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be able to you know have all the time in the world, but I don't I don't know that that I or we have ever found anything that way where we were out on an intentional hunt. Usually, it's about doing what we do. And, and doing it all in and also doing it um, without blinders on. You know, everyone would be like, you know, head down, blinders on. I completely disagree. I mean, I, I, I think it's it's important. You can go hard and still have your head on a swivel. And I think that's when those opportunities present, like masks. I mean, who, who knows? Were we looking for a mask business? No. A team in California got locked out because they didn't have masks. And it just happened to be moving from west to east. And we had just a little bit of a glimpse faster than the people in the local market. And we executed around it. So I don't know. I, uh, I think it's great that we... Um, that we have it there. And I know quickly it's, oh, I mean, I think either one of us sees something that looks like it's out of the Tegler or Arnold Lane and it's, huh, that could be a Mc, that could be a McBird Ventures thing that we would take a look at. And I just think until, you know, we're both in a, uh, in a, in a growth and change structure in our businesses, but the second we get some excess time or some additional bandwidth, then I, I, I imagine we'll find ourselves heading in that direction like we have you know, the pandemic made us because our core business has slowed down pretty quick. And it was, I have to sit on the couch for 14 days. What, I'm, what am I going to do? And our answer is, duh, start a business. What else would you do if you had to sit on the couch for 14 days? You'd start a business. Yeah, same. I, same exact answer. Like, I have no mission or goals. McBrit Ventures is not even, if being honest, not, not even on my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, my only commitment is TCS and how we're going to grow that business and evolve. We just had a great meeting today of just changing everything, just processes and job roles and structure up today, which I'm really excited about after seven years. Um, so that is my focus. And I think as we navigate through the TCS and APC world, that's where the opportunities come from. And one thing we talked about, we want to, if there is a great opportunity that's really brought to us, that's, that's what it's been falls into our lap that we we can jump on it because a lot of these things come and go so quickly yeah. that we have something in place so we can execute quickly right. and I think that's what McBrit Ventures serves right now and yes down the line we'll we'll probably do some other stuff with it when we're in a different phase of our life yeah. but right now it's just sitting there when these opportunities come it's like hell yeah I want to be involved I don't have time but you guys are really smart and you know what you're doing and we've got something in place to make it happen right yeah and what resources do we have that might help that might help um, propel it yes. or whatever you're trying to do. So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, no, I think it's smart. Uh, don't don't create a business and, and find something to ram it into. It doesn't right? work. Yeah. It's, not, it's not even a, that doesn't happen. Better to identify a problem. And then as you evolve the solution, then you can figure out systematically where it belongs. It belongs at Tegler or it belongs at Arnold Packaging or or if it if it's an outlier or outside the lane, then we do have this other vehicle that we could we could put it in or park it in. But I think for in general, I'm looking for problems and or demand and then um, seeing if there's a solution that we can generate with our skill sets. It's hard to get too far outside of your lane. Um, but if it's in our lane or even on the edge, right? I mean, certainly you've got to, you've got to nudge your lanes out at times and, and that's how you become something new and evolve. That's what I'm generally doing is, is looking for that need or that demand and then seeing if we have a superpower that will let us create an offering that fills it. Well said. <laughs> I couldn't couldn't have said it better. Yeah, so we'll we'll see where it goes. And um, next creative venture that comes up, if it does in the near future, something we can bring to the table and talk about. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to it. We'll find it. 
It'll, it'll find us, actually. I think it'll find us. Yeah. But we'll be looking in the process. So ending comment here, if somebody, I, I think our situation's a little unique, so I'm not sure how relevant it's going to be a lot of people, but it could even be just be like somebody that wants to do something on the side of their full-time gig or just a solo business owner, whatever. Would you encourage them to like, hey, this might be something you could you could think about and it's worked for us. Like set, set a little something up on the side and... Yeah, I think if if there's a benefit to it, we hit on this in an earlier conversation. If you have a trusted partner, whether that be whatever, spouse, a relative, a childhood friend, whatever, if you have a trusted partner- I And think, supportive or supportive or, and or. Yeah, and or supportive. Um, I mean, look, by virtue of having two, it means you have twice the bandwidth, which is which is helpful, right? How do you get this thing off the ground? If you're, especially if you still have a job, right? If this has a side hustle feel to it and you have a partner or someone you can work on it together with. Now, you're going to split the ownership, right? You're going to, you're going to split, you're going to have half of a stake in the organization. Or 51%. Or 51%. Saying. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. You're the majority shareholder <laughs> in different ventures. Yes. Brilliant of us. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's great. I mean, we talked about the family component and the great parts, right? Trust and and uh, there's some challenges with that too. If it doesn't go well, then it can be horrible. Um, you might wreck Thanksgiving dinner over it if it if it goes poorly. But yeah, I would absolutely say, why not? I mean, why wouldn't you double your firepower, especially if you still have a job, right? Where you're trying. You know, otherwise, you could be at it twenty four seven. If you have kids or something along those lines, that could be a great entree. Where you know, the number of times we watch Shark Tank, for example, and there's cousins or sisters or or brother sister teams that have gone at it together. I think that's a great way to enter. It's also half the risk. So yeah, I think that that could be a very measured way to yeah. get in for any number of people. Yeah, the closing comment for me, I, I I agree, and I think about that all the time. Like if we have something at McBrit Ventures that hits or does really well, but all of a sudden we're like, oh shit, we're in this thing, and it does require a little bit of time, but it's really good. Like being able to bring some family members or somebody that does have some free time, be like, hey, listen, this is an awesome opportunity. We've got this over here. Do you want to be a part of it? And I, I've already seen and had that in my head. Like I've, I've talked about maybe this could be an opportunity where my sister or my mom might want to get engaged and we can pull them in. So mm -hmm. that's always something because I, I love bringing in family or friends and getting them engaged and giving them opportunities. So that's that's something I think about that I, I do think that will happen eventually. Yeah, me too. That'd be great. That'd be an, an awesome outcome. Nothing better than doing business with then, friends and family. Yeah. If it works, it's fantastic. And your spouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, your spouse. I mean, my spouse, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? No, I don't think so. I think uh, that's a uh, big fan. We, we'll talk a lot about this small business topic, but also I think calling out the important parts about what to watch for. We talked about uh, sacrifice being a big one mm -hmm. and something that's underestimated. Today, we hit on more of the nuts and bolts mechanical piece of starting a business. And, and uh, it's not just as easy as whipping up an LLC to feel good about your name on the wall. There's there's a, a commitment as well, right? Sacrifice and commitment, two really big words in uh, in starting up a business that you I think you have to measure and, and really be honest with yourself about. And, and if you don't know, then seek counsel, right? Ask someone that you know that's been down the road before and get some honest counsel about what's this really going to look like? And if I take this jump, whether it's quit my job or, or whatever that would be, what does it really look like? What's the sacrifice look like? What's the commitment look like? I mean, I've talked to friends, it's cost them, you know, marriages, time with their children, you know, things that they didn't necessarily understand how all consuming that business could be. And they either had to make a choice where it was, you know, I, I shut the business down because I wasn't willing to, to you know, lose my family or, or do whatever, or uh, they follow the business hard and then there just wasn't enough bandwidth and the other side failed. So those are, those, you know, those are some of the pitfalls on that side that few people talk about, especially, you know, a, a lot of the press and, and celebratory things on podcasts or whatever, or for the people that made it. Some of those guys are on their 39th wife. You know, I mean, there, there are, there's, there is, there's, there's collateral damage along the way that uh, doesn't get talked about a lot because it's not comfortable. Yeah. And, and my goal today was e even focusing less on, on that and APC and TCS and more on like that supplementary 
business that that we started together just as an option just so as like the whole goal for me in in all the episodes of this one is just to share hey this is what we did this worked for us it's, it's something to think about that just put other ideas in front of people sure. because so many people do things different ways I'm like this has been pretty pretty cool and fun and low stress and and worked and hey here it is take it or leave it but it it's one way. Yeah. It's absolutely. one way. Yeah. And I think it's great that we can share. I mean, we have lots of friends who have different experiences and, and have encountered different things. And we've also seen situations like this that, that didn't work out as well. So, yeah, I, don't, I think uh, it's important. You know, there's enough social media in the world only talking about wins. I think the losses are, are more, more valuable at times from a learning perspective.